Amen. Well, I think we're all glad to get back to a little bit of normalness. Morning <laughs> service already, and then Sunday school here now, and then another service yet to come. Praise the Lord. And God has been good to us all. Amen. Let's all pray together and give God the praise and glory. Jesus, we praise you, we love you, we worship you, we glorify your wonderful name. We ask you, Lord, to bless us, each and every one here, this morning as we look into the word of God. We thank you for your word, Lord. It is a light unto our feet and a lamp unto our pathway. We ask you to bless each and every one here this morning. Bless all of our children that's in Sunday school at this time and young people. Bless them, God. Bless every class. We ask you to bless us all here in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And you may just wave at somebody or bump elbows or whatever you want to do. Don't shake hands. <laughs> all right. You may be seated. God love you. Praise the Lord. Amen. This is Memorial Day weekend. And uh, I was couldn't help but think of uh, a time that I was with my son over in Belgium. We were over there preaching a conference. He was preaching. I was going along with him, started doing some teaching on the side. And uh, we were in Brussels, Belgium. We went, we went down to where the Battle of the Bulge was fought. That was in uh, Belgium. And it was the big battle during the European, the Allies moving across France and moving across Europe toward Germany. It was almost like Germany's last big stand against the Allies. And uh, it was a huge battle that was fought, a lot of detail involved. But a lot of, a lot of people were killed, German, both the German, German side and also on the Allied side, a lot of Americans were killed. And I never will forget going to the memorial to America. It was in Belgium, and I was so touched by this. But they had a memorial there that was probably as big as this auditorium that was statues and had names of mili U.S. military men who had died there in that Battle of the Bulge. And they had their names, their states they were from, things like that. And I walked around and I read a lot of them, and there was a sign, big sign that was all around that that said, never has there been a people that have fought for our country like our own people that would be that, that any greater than the Americans. The Americans fought for Belgium as though it was their own country. And I thought, what an honor to pay, you know, and I'm telling you that here today because America has been a great nation, not because we are great people, but because God has blessed America. And we must never forget that. Let's never forget it. What I see, and I, I, I worry about this, is that we're losing that. We're losing that. We're losing that edge where that we don't recognize that God is behind it all. God is the blesser, that God is the giver. God is the one that has kept his hand on us. And it's a wonderful thing to know that God has blessed this country. But I fear for America today. I was reading in the scriptures just yesterday where Jesus was, was uh, teaching and talking. And he said that an, an empire that's divided against itself cannot stand. And then he repeats it by saying, a house divided against itself cannot stand. And he's talking about, they were accusing him of casting out devils by Beelzebub, which is the spirit of the devil. He said that Satan cast out devils by devils, then Satan's kingdom would fall. That's not what it is. And he rebuked them for blaspheming the Holy Ghost by saying those things. 
But the thing that he brought out that I that registered with me was that a house divided against itself cannot stand. And uh, today in America, with all of the things we're doing and with all the efforts to try to unite America together, together to get through this coronavirus problem that we've got, and it's been amazing that we've been able to do that. Yet, I see this wrangling going on in Washington and this, this contention going on constantly in the political structure. And I'm thinking the house divided against itself cannot stand. And I've been praying recently, God, bless America again. Bless the country. But I must tell you, I don't know how long we have. I don't know how long we have. In Daniel chapter 2, there is an image that Nebuchadnezzar saw that Daniel interpreted. Most of you know the story about it. I teach on it sometimes. But it starts out with Babylon being the first empire, then the media Persian empire, and then the Roman empire, uh, the Grecian empire, rather, then the Roman empire. And then the latter part of it, it goes on the image started with the head, goes right on down to the feet. And it goes right on down to the feet and finally talks about the foot and talks about the toes of the feet, knowing that this is the end of the period of the Gentiles in which Gentiles will rule the world and will be in one form or another, whether they will be Greeks or Romans or, or Europe or whatever it might be. Someone asked me, where's America and all of that? And I said, we must be the big toe down at the bottom. <laughs> we're at the end, praise the Lord. And I've always just said it, maybe we're the big toe. But what I am saying is that I think we're coming close to the end of this dispensation of time and that we have to be aware that God is bringing things to a close. My, uh, I'm going I'm to have uh, our ushers to pass out some handouts. This is my lesson for today. And we're starting in the book of Revelation. And I want to teach on the book of Revelation here in the, in the sessions going, going forward because, because I feel like that it's a time to relook again at this book. And the name of this lesson that's being handed to you is Things Coming on the Earth. Things Coming on the Earth. We're going to be talking about that. And then underneath that, another look at the book of Revelation. And I say another look because we've looked at it more than once. Many of you have. Many of you know very much about it as well. And uh, we're taking another look at the book of Revelation and the things that are coming on the earth. So when you get your handouts here, uh, this is what our lesson is. This is for you to keep. Lord willing, I'm going to try to give you a, a copy of our lesson each week. And this is the one that will be for today. And uh, I want to start, I want you to turn with us to the book of Revelation, chapter 1. And when you get your notes your, your sheet of paper, and also if you have your Bibles. And I want to encourage you to bring your Bible. Now, an old uh, bishop told me years ago when I was a young man, 17 years old, starting to study the Bible. He said, don't be afraid to mark in your Bible. Write a little scripture reference or put a little note beside a verse of scripture. Don't be afraid to do that. Somebody said, well, I don't want to mar the Bible. No, no. You won't mar the word of God. The Bible says don't add to the word of God or take away from the word of God. You won't add to the word of God. This ink here and this paper that you've got in your hands and this leather backing that you got to your Bible, that's yours. You bought that. You paid for that. Amen. The word, praise the Lord, nobody can ever change that. Praise the Lord. So you're not adding to the word, taking away. 
and anything. You're just giving yourself some little footnotes so that you can understand when you read there and look at some references of your own. So I encourage you to have your Bible, bring your Bibles with you, and to uh, jot down these things whenever you come to them. Now, uh, trusting everybody has their hand out in them, I want you to look with us, if you would, at Revelations chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to read down here through, uh, to, uh, down through the first three verses, if you look with me very carefully. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto him the divine servants, which things must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Praise the Lord. Now, if you look at your lesson, it says the setting of the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation was written 96 A.D. That date is very, depends on who the date, uh, the date establisher is. Uh, there's different ones. Uh, Usher is one of them, and uh, there are different players. And Unger is another. Uh, they have set these dates by calculating, working, studying figures and everything. And so they, uh, this is the one that we usually use. And this is uh, the one put out by Usher. And it is called 96 AD is when the book of Revelation was written. John was still living. He was the only apostle of the 12 apostles still living. The others had all been martyred. This is why somebody asked me the question one time, why did God choose John to give him the book of Revelation? Why not Peter or James or one of the other, Andrew? It's because John was the only one living in 96 AD. The others had all passed away. They were all martyred. He was the only one of the 12 apostles that was left, that were left. And uh, John himself uh, died a natural death. He died two years later in 98 AD. He had written the gospel of John in 90 AD. It was the last of the gospel books. That's why his gospel book is a little bit different because it was written in Greek rather than in, in, in Hebrew or in the, the, uh, the, and the language of the New Testament in Palestine. Now, let me move on here. This is just uh, small things that I'm giving you here. Notice here it's written in 96 AD by John. He's the only apostle. I'm reading here from your notes, uh, which is, uh, let's see. You should have that on your screen there. Uh, 96 AD by John, the only apostle living in the Isle of Patmos. Now, I'm going to give you a, a map here to show you where the Isle of Patmos was, is was and is, was then and is today. Uh, where is my, where is my overhead? Is this working? What button do I push here, guys? There it is. Thank you. All right, we're going to, come on, I need something working here. I said, God, make sure this ain't working because I got a lot of stuff here to show you today. Come on, somebody help me out here. This is terrible. Do you know about this thing? <laughs> We're going to play with it, right? I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know. I thought it was all ready to go. I said, make sure this overhead is ready today. 
There it is. Look at that. All right. Thank you, Ed. Boy, he's a smart guy. Ed really knows his stuff. He got me going there. All right. Thank you, Ed. Now, I'm showing you this map here because I'm going to show you other things in a few moments here. But the Isle of Patmos is here. Now, this is Turkey today. It was called Asia back then. Asia, this area right in here is called Asia. Asia is Western Turkey right in here. But that's not the Orient. This is Asia in the Bible and the New Testament there in the book of Acts and in the epistles and so forth. And uh, it's an area there in Western Turkey called Asia. And uh, Patmos is right here. You can barely see it. There's the name word Patmos and there's a little tiny, tiny island right there. Everybody see that? That's where the Isle of Patmos was. That's where John was and he was doing hard labor. They were sort of throwing him into salt mines and at his age, he's a very old man now. And they had put there and he was there in, on Isle of Patmos working hard. And, and this is where God gave him the book of Revelation. One little thought here, folks, and that is whatever you're ever going through, and you're living for God and you're serving the Lord, just be patient in the Lord. God's got his hand on everything. Amen. And God has not lost your phone number or your zip code. He knows where you are. Amen. And he's got his hand on you. Just keep believing in the Lord, walking with God. And God may be shaping you up for something greater than what you or I would even know that he was going to send your way. So John was on this Isle of Patmos. He was in a bad shape he was tired and it was on the Lord's day now look uh, the rest of that setting part there on the Isle of Patmos off the coast of Turkey as I've just mentioned here this is Greece over here this is Macedonia this is Italy over here you can have the, the boot and so forth now he said he was in this off the coast of Turkey on the Lord's day everybody see that now look at Revelations you're in chapter 1 look down at verse 10 this is where it speaks about being on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day. Verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Now, if you got your Bible, underline the word the Lord's day because that's Sunday. That's Sunday, the Lord's day. When Jesus rose the first day of the week, Sunday became the day of worship for the Christians. The early church worshiped on Sunday. They came together on Sunday and they called it the Lord's Day. I know some people like to put a lot of emphasis still on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is a day of rest, but <clears throat> Sunday is the day of worship. That's why we have church on Sunday. Praise the Lord, we come together on Sunday. Now, to give you a little, to substantiate that, uh, if you'll look with me over here in the book of Acts for just a moment, look at Acts twenty-two sixteen. 16. I'm sorry, that's, that's not the verse I want. Uh, where is it? There's a couple of verses there I wanted to make. Acts 20, 20 and 7. Where is that? Here, here we go. Acts 20 and 7. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread. Everybody see that? They break bread mean they were doing communion. 
the first day of the week when the disciples came together, so I would just want to bring that out to you. Paul preached unto them. And uh, then also it's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, <coughs> excuse me, where Paul was writing to the Corinthian church. Uh, and in the writing to the Corinthian church, he says, when I come and receive an offering from you to give to the church of Jerusalem, who was going through a famine at the time, he said, I will come on the first day of the week. I'll be there and have your ready offerings ready on the, on, on, on the Lord's day. He called it the Lord's day. Same thing. So three places in the Bible that speaks about the Lord's day. And one of them here is here in the book of Revelation. Now, let me move on a little bit further here, and I want you to look at number one on your paper. Number one, chapter one. Blessings to those who read, hear, and keep those, those things written in this book. Now, we're in, <clears throat> go back to the book of Revelations, chapter one. The book of Revelations, chapter one, and uh, look in verse three with us. I want to read this verse. Blessed is he that readeth, and he that heareth the words of this prophecy. There are two blessings in studying the book of Revelation. One is the blessing of reading it. The other is the blessing of hearing it. And the third, and keep those things which are written therein. So we are to keep the things that are written in those things as well. Praise the Lord. So three blessings that are involved there. He that reads, he that hears the words, and he that keeps those words that are written. Praise the Lord. Now, look at the very last line in verse 3. For the time is at hand. The time is at hand. Wait a minute, Brother Myers. This was written in 96 AD. This is uh, 2020. Uh, what, what we're reading in the book of Revelation here, all these things that it's going to be telling us here has not yet happened. And everything. How is it, can it say, for the time is at hand? Well, part of it was at hand, and I'm going to show you that. I want you to look down in verse uh, 19 with me. Just jump down to verse 19, 119, very quickly here. This is where that the angel was telling John, here's what I want you to write, John. Write the things which thou hast seen, that's past tense, and the things which are. There are some things that are, it's in existence. And the things which shall be hereafter. So there's three categories in the book of Revelation. Now I'll give it to you very, very plainly here. The things which thou hast seen is what will be in chapter 1. Chapter 1 is the things that are seen. If you look there uh, under A, chapter 1 and A in your notes. Number 1, which is chapter 1 and A, the time is at hand. And then these things that are seen, Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at that in today's lesson today, what's in chapter 1. These are things that John experienced on that day. Praise the Lord. And then he goes on to say the things which are. Now I'll talk to you about what are the things that are. The things that are are the things that are at hand. And the things that he looked at, I'm going to talk to you about that. And then it says the things which shall be hereafter. And that starts with chapter 4. And goes through 4 through 22. In fact, just real quickly, go to Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1 for just a moment. I'll show you. Here's where he picks up on that last part. And this is the part we're going to be giving most of our study to. In fact, it'll be probably, it'll be 99% of it. 
Look at chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. So everybody with me? So this is the hereafter part, starting in chapter 4. So the things that thou hast seen is chapter 1. The things that are are chapters 2 and 3. And then the things which are hereafter, <coughs> starting in chapter 4 and going on through chapters 22. Now, let me go back here to chapter 1 because we're going to be looking at the things which thou hast seen. This is what John experienced. So looking with us then in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. 1, 4. Everybody still with me? Have I lost anybody yet? All right. Stay with me on this. Chapter 1, verse 4. He says here, John to the seven, uh, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, peace from him which is, which was, which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. If you've got your Bibles right, Isaiah 11, 2 in there. 11, 2, the seven spirits which are before his throne. Isaiah 11, 2, that'll tell you what the seven spirits are. I won't take time to do that. <coughs> Praise God. Now, it talks about the seven churches which are in Asia. Uh, I'm going to jump down very quickly down to verse 11. I'll come back to those other verses in a moment. Saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. I'm in chapter 1, verse 11 here, in the middle of the verse. Now, here are the seven churches. Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Now, these are the seven churches they're actually on this map, but I'm going to show it to you on this one because on this one, they're already in red. This is another map of the same. This one is enlarged somewhat. Let me straighten that up for you. Hang on a second. This, uh, this is the same as that, only it zeroes in on this area here. And here again is the Isle of Patmos. They're pointing to it. But here are the seven churches of Asia, starting with Ephesus right here. Ephesus. Now, this, this, on this map, it's in red, so you can see it better. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis right here, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, these are those seven churches that are in Asia. John established all of those churches except one. And that was Ephesus right here. Paul established this church in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. Most of us are familiar with that. Where he said, how were you baptized? They said, under John's baptism. And he said, John baptized under repentance, saying to believe on him who should come after him. That is on Jesus Christ. And it said, then Paul baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is also being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Okay. And then he laid hands on them. They received the gift of the Holy Ghost and spoke in other tongues. Because that goes with receiving the Holy Ghost. Now, these are the seven churches. <coughs> and this is what this chapters 2 and 3 is all about. These are the things that are. 
In other words, those seven churches actually had literally existed at that time. So when Paul uh, was given this revelation in 96 AD, then these things, praise the Lord, these seven churches did exist and they, they're recorded here, their do's, their don'ts, their, their good qualities, their bad qualities, all throughout the book, uh, chapters two and three. Uh, I have a Bible study. It's a 13-week Bible study I give them. It's called the Hidden Epistles. And the Hidden Epistles is referring to chapters two and three of the book of Revelation concerning the seven churches of Asia. I'm not going to get into that because that's a Bible study within itself. Very interesting and it's a very good lesson. So what I'm trying to tell you here is that chapters one and two uh, and three, we are going to get through those quickly. And then now when I get to chapter four, we're going to really talk about some things coming on the earth because that's what's yet coming to us and what's yet coming on the earth. One other point that I will bring out to you here uh, concerning the seven churches of Asia here, and that is that these seven churches of Asia were also periods of time. Not only did those seven churches exist, but they were also periods of time that would happen. Now, this is a chart on the periods of time, and I questioned this when I first began to study it, the church age, and in that, if you'll notice here, Ephesus was the first part of the church age, Smyrna, Pergamos was the third, Thyatira, Sardis, uh, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia is the orange, the red and the orange almost looks the same color, Philadelphia, and then the Laodicean church. And uh, the, this is where the word Philadelphia, or the city, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, they got their name out of the Bible. And it's just called the city of brotherly love because when you read in the Bible about the church of Philadelphia, the Lord found no fault with that church. He found no fault with it and said they had manifested love and so forth. He found no fault with the church of Philadelphia. The only one of the seven he did not find a fault with. But they were church ages as well as literal churches that existed in those times. And some of those churches uh, are still parts about, some of them are still there. I have been to the ancient city of Ephesus and I've been there and of course, you don't know where the church was. It was like the people, they lived in, they were in church and houses and things like that. But what I am trying to say, God had a church then, praise the Lord. And the Lord wanted them to know, I want you to live right, walk right and act right and talk right because there's coming a time on the earth whenever you want everything right and the Lord is coming back for his people. Now, these were church age periods of time. I won't go into detail on it, but when I questioned this myself, I began to examine and check out church history and I found it to be right on target. Amazing how it described each one of these seven churches and they also represented periods of time. And that's a Bible study in itself, which I'll not go into here at this time. Praise God. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Praise now, I'm going to go back here and talk to you about some things in chapter one. Some very interesting things. Look very closely with me here. I want you to look with me here. And uh, let's start with... Uh, Let's start here with verse 5. This is 1-5. Everybody with me? We're in chapter 1, verse 5. Everybody still with me? Yes, I'm sort of bouncing around because of the way the first chapter is laid out. Verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, 
He is the first of the resurrection and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. All right. Now look at this very closely. I want you to go with me to Acts 22, 16, 22, 16 for just a moment. And this is where Paul is giving his testimony and he's telling the people in Jerusalem how he was a real hard-nosed, devout Pharisee and then he had an experience with God. And that change here made him become a Christian. He was trying to be a witness to them, testify to them that they ought to consider being a Christian themselves. And he was witnessing to them. And whenever he said he was converted, he talked about Ananias the prophet who, uh, who had gone to him. He was blind when... Paul saw him as a noonday sun, brighter than the noonday sun. He blind, was blind. He was blind for three days. And he went on into Damascus and a prophet came to him. The Lord had spoken to that prophet. Ananias said, go to that house and you'll find a man by the name of Saul. He said, Lord, Saul is a bad, bad man for Christians. No, no. He said, he's one of mine because I've, I've just converted him. And I want you to go there and I want you to pray for him that he may receive his sight. And here's what it says here. <laughs> He came to him, laid hands on him, received his sight. I won't go read all the year. Look at verse 16. And then Ananias said to Paul, And now, why tarest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now notice here it says, be baptized, washing away your sins. And then over here in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, it says that unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Baptism in water does not wash away your sins by the water. Everybody with me? It's not the water that washes away your sins. It's the obedience to the word of God. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away your sins. Praise the Lord. That's why it's essential to be baptized. That's why baptism is essential to be saved. Praise the Lord. And you got to be baptized right. If it's essential to be saved, then I want to be baptized right. And the Bible says do it in the name. There's no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved in the name of Jesus Christ. The early church always baptized in Jesus' name. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, go in all the world baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Those disciples knew who the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Ghost were. They knew who it was. They knew it was Jesus. Or they baptized in Jesus' name. That's evident in Acts chapter 2. When those Jews said, many brethren, you know, you know, what about this Christ and so forth? What shall we do? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So baptism is to have your sins remitted and washed away. So I'm just telling you that so that we understand here how important baptism is. And then when baptism is done, it's the application of the blood of Calvary. It's the application of the blood of Calvary. Praise the Lord. That's why believing, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Shout is a future tense. If you believe, you're going to obey his word. The Bible says that, uh, that we are, you know, that we are, Saved by grace and that through faith. Faith is believing. We're saved by grace. Grace is 
Jesus shedding his blood on Calvary that we might be saved. The grace is him giving his life. That's the grace of God toward us. I don't have a right to be saved. I have no rights. You have no right. We had no right. We were nothing. We are nobodies. We were not even of the seed of Abraham. But by his grace and that through faith, that is, I believe, Lord. I believe. Okay, what must I do that I, since I believe? Just like Paul said in the 19th chapter to those people at Ephesus, he said, you know, be baptized in Jesus' name. And so they were baptized. He baptized them in Jesus' name. Always baptize, baptism is for the remission of sins that takes it away, but not, not the water. It's the blood of Jesus Christ that's applied to our lives. Amen. When those Jews came out of, out of Egypt, they had to uh, apply the blood. What blood? The blood of the Passover. The Passover lamb was slain and it was applied to the doorpost of their house and over there. And the blood had to be applied for the death angel to pass over. And if it was, it would pass over. The father could say, well, the, the lamb's been slain, the blood's been shed, but we're not going to mess around with applying it. We're just going to leave it on the ground or leave it there where it is. And the little boy saying, no, no, dad, put the, put the blood, in the, you know, they said, Moses said, do this and that. No, we're not going to worry about that of it. That little boy would not have made it through the night, his oldest son, the oldest son of every family, including the Egyptians, everything, even down to the cows, the animals, everything. The oldest of the male died. And so it was Jewish father who made sure of that blood. Dad, you left a little spot up there. Okay, let's make sure we get it covered good. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen. I baptized somebody one time. Their toe came up out of the. I took their foot and pushed it back in the water. They might well get them all baptized. I'm telling you, folks, baptism is, is very important. I remember one time in Clearwater, Florida, a woman asked me, said, Brother Myers, will you baptize me? I said, yes. So my wife and I took it down. We didn't have a baptistry, a pool or nothing. Forget swimming pools. That was way back there. We could, we could barely afford a wash pot back then. We went down to the bio, down to the bay, and they had this, uh, uh, the red tide, you know, where the fish die. And the fish were dying and were floating to the water and they were coming up onto the, and from here to those row of seats, there was dead fish, or halfway, I should say. I wouldn't say all the way. But there were dead fish along the coast of that, wa that water. We walked through those woods and got down there. She had baptism clothes on. Thinking, we got down to the edge there. I said, Sister, do you want to be baptized in there? She said, Brother Myers, I've come to be baptized, and I want to be baptized. I said, let's do it. So I waded out in that water, and I pushed all those dead fish out of the way. Yeah, you think I'm kidding? Pushed all the dead fish out of the way, and I baptized her in Jesus' name. She came up shouting all over the place, glorifying God, praising the Lord. Amen. So I'm just trying to say here, praise the Lord. Some people have been baptized in salt water. Some have been baptized in fresh water. One sister said, you know, I don't want to be baptized in still water. I want to be baptized in flowing water. You know, we had a baptistry. I said, no problem. We'll turn the water on, pull the plug, baptize you. There'll be flowing water. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. But baptism is essential. Very important. Praise the Lord. First guy ever baptized in my life. I was 20 years old preaching revival up in the country. And uh, this uh, 
guy was a little bit inebriated, came to church that night, and uh, I was, my first revival, I was all excited, and uh, he came to the altar. Man, I was so happy and everything, and so I said to the elder, the deacons, I said, uh, the pastor lived in another town. He wasn't there during the week and came just on Sunday. So I was sort of <laughs> communicating with the deacons in the church. I said, we got a place to baptize this guy. He said, yeah, we go down to this creek, this spring water, you know, where it comes a boil coming up out of the ground and everything. He said, we'll take him down there and baptize. That's where we do all the baptize. I said, all right, let's go. And so I told the guy, we're going to baptize you now. He said, all right, he's ready to get baptized. He was starting to sober up a little bit. He prayed at the altar there for about 30, 40 minutes. And he was ready to, you know, move on into the Lord's gospel. And uh, we all drove down there in cars, pulled up there and shined those headlights of the cars down in that spring. And there was a boil about twice the size of this table like that. And cold water out of somewhere in Tennessee up there in the mountains that had gone underwater and was flowing the water. just coming out of the ground. Cold. 72 degrees year round cold and this was summertime this was in July we were preaching the revival that water was boiling out there and then it made a creek and that creek was was uh, was as wide as the top of the from this post here down to those pews that creek was about that wide and it was about waist deep perfect for baptism and also for swimming for the kids in the summertime you know they'd go there and swim and so forth so <clears throat> we went there and I took the guys that so I thought about, let's see now, I'm going to baptize him with his head toward the water, you know, toward the, the spring, not down the other way, everything. So their lights were all shining. And, and he said to me, how should I act? Well, the only thing I could think about was a scripture that I had read in the Bible that we are, we are buried with him in baptism, buried. The dead people are buried, right? So I said, just act like a dead man. All right, so he's, he got stiff as a poker. So I, I, you know, put my hand on his nose and his eyes down like that. And I pushed him down under the water, baptized him in Jesus' name, and brought him up. But he wouldn't stand up. He was stiff as a poker. I kept trying to push him up. As I pushed him up, I pushed him away. And the stream, the water was coming out, pushing. And he was pushing him. And finally, he got out, he got away. And he went down the stream, bobbing like this, just sitting there bobbing along in that water, still stiff as a pulver. <coughs> it's dark down that way. And way on down there a ways, because the water gets a little warmer, you've got some snakes, you know. <laughs> so I was looking like this. This is my first baptism. Everybody on the bank was all looking like that. What happened to, uh, to, to Willie, you know. Will is bobbing off down there last time. Then I heard, I heard him thrashing around down in there, thrashing around. He climbed, finally climbed out on the bank, came up on the bank, and I came up out of the water up from this side. I met him up there, and he said, why did you let me float off down there in the water with all those snakes and things? I said, remember what I said. I said, dead men don't ask any questions either. You've got to act like a dead man. They ask no questions. Well, a lot of experiences, praise the Lord, baptizing. I baptized a woman one time. We had a, we had a, 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 Sunday, a Sunday morning service at a watch night, a, a morning, what do you call it? Sunday morning uh, 
Easter, Easter service down on the beach and the ocean, you know. Uh, anyhow, we had one of those early morning services, daybreak when the sun's coming up. And the ocean was out there, and there were several people that wanted to be baptized. <laughs> so good old Pastor Myers, you know, I'm going to baptize them. They said, yeah, you're okay, you're going to be baptized in the ocean here. Sun's coming up, you know, sunrise service. We had a sunrise service, then 10 o'clock we had another service here. And uh, so here they were, we were all down there, and all the people standing on the beach. And the waves were big because there had been a storm way out, I mean, 100 miles or so out in the ocean. But here it was calm, but the storm had created big waves, and uh, the uh, the water was uh, was sort of low tide or medium tide. It was low tide. It wasn't high tide. It was low tide, and so we had to wade way out to baptize, and the waves were huge. So I'm thinking, man, uh, th these waves are big, you know. And when you, when the, in other words, when the waves hit, they went out. The water was shallow. But when the waves came in, they were, it was deep. It was a sort of a complicated situation. So I thought, you know what? Being a pastor, I'm going to be very protective of these people when I baptize them. <clears throat> so each one I baptized was a, little, was a problem. Finally, this one lady, she came out. I never forget she was such a, she's a Jamaican lady. Just such a sweet spirit, kind words, everything. She had a robe on, everything, you know. And I turned my back to the wind of the waves so I could protect her and baptize her when the water was about the right height, you know. And so I went to baptize now in Jesus' name. And I, went to, and I baptized her, and I put her back on her back like that. And a wave hit me in the back and knocked me across her like an X, like, a, like this. And, and she was trying to get up, and I was laying across her, and I couldn't get my feet under me. And we were under the water. We were in the water, under the water, and everybody on the bank was looking, what happened to him? Honestly, this happened. What happened, you know? And we went, <laughs> finally, finally, I was able to get my balance and get back on my feet, and I pulled her up and everything. I said, I am so sorry, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's all right, Pastor, that's all right. I'm so happy to be baptized in Jesus' name. Well, praise God, hallelujah. God is good. Amen. And so people are baptized and people are saved. And this is what <clears throat> this is all about. Well, I want to show you something else in the scripture. I've got a couple more minutes here. Just one more thing I'm going to show you and I'm going to close. Uh, look at verse eight, if you would, with me. Jesus said, I'm Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which... Uh, let me read verse 7. It ties it together. Back up to verse 7. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. That's Jesus on the cross. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. Verse 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. That's God Almighty. Whoa, that sounds, wait, is that Jesus or is that the Father? Is that the Son or is that the Father? Look down in the, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and, 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 and heard, I'm sorry, verse 11 is what I want to go to, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia. Now, down in verse 17, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, 
He laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and I am the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am Alpha, and am alive forevermore. So what I'm pointing out to you here is that the first and the last, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the ending, if the, if the Father and the Son are two separate and distinct persons, as the Trinity doctrine proclaims that they are, which they are not, they, they are manifestations of the one God, one God only manifestation of the one God. And if they're, the, if they're different persons, then who is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, end, the first and the last? Because one says he was the one that was pierced and he was the one that was alive and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And then over in the finally, I'm going to finish with this, over in the uh, last part of the book of Revelation, I'm reading here in uh, chapter 21 and verse 6. And he said unto me, it is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. He states that again. And then over in chapter 22 and verse 13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last. And then verse 16, he identifies himself again. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the church. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Now, I'm only saying that Jesus Christ is everything. He is everything, folks. If you've got him, you've got it all. Praise the Lord. So starting next week, I'm going to have some lessons starting in chapter 4. And we have got some powerful things coming up for you. I don't want you to miss not one, not one of these Bible studies because it's going to be all about the book of Revelation. And I'm going to give you some in-depth stuff that you're going to really appreciate. Let's stand together and give God the praise and the glory. Praise Jesus. God, we love your name. Lord, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful audience here this morning. Thank you for your people. Thank you for brothers and sisters of the Lord. Thank you that we have each other. Thank you, Lord God, for those, Lord, that have chosen today to be in the house of God, to lift up your hands and worship you, and to be in harmony with all of us together, Lord, that we may worship you. And bless your word always to our hearts. Bless the morning service coming up. And bless our musicians and our singers in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Praise the Lord.